in the early church, uh, and it's written to one of the early churches. Uh, if any questions come to mind while he's speaking, uh, or if you have questions about other things we've covered today, you can ask those at any time uh, via Slido. Um, there should be a slide, I think, that will indicate how to find Slido, but it's S-L-I-D-O dot com, and you can go there. Same thing we just did for the prayers. You can ask anonymous if you like. Um, as I said, it's the same tool for the prayers. We'll do our best to respond to some of them after the talk, and so over to Matt. Brilliant. Thanks, Pat, and uh, it is my privilege and pleasure to be with you this morning and to be very short, so I'm just going to shorten this down a little bit more even there I'm in the frame. And if you're with us digitally, really glad you're here too. And uh, I think uh, every week you should know there are tens of people, not hundreds of people, but tens of people with us digitally. And we really want you to feel like you are a part of things. So I'm going to talk to you sometimes. I'm going to talk to you sometimes in the room as well. My name's Matt. I'm one of the leaders here. And uh, today we're going to look at the, the next section of Galatians, like, uh, like Pat was just telling us. Now, today's passage is all about uh, a group of people who want to be under the law. It's about a group of people who want to be under the law. And what it means by the law there is it means the Jewish religious law called the Torah. It's like a huge set of rules and regulations, rules about everything from cutting your hair to harvesting your field to cleaning your house, everything. And um, the question we need to think through as we get started on this is why? Like, well, why do they want to be under the law, right? Why would they want to submit to enormous set of rules and regulations? Or why, more generally, would we, or people like us, why would we ever want to take on a set of rules and regulations? I mean, surely it's obvious it's just better to be free, it's obviously better to be free, not to live under lots and lots of rules, not to choose restrictions. Like we've lived for nearly two years under a huge raft of ever-changing COVID rules. And wouldn't you love just to be done with them? Wouldn't you love to pick up your mask and chuck it in the bin and be free? And you know, that's, that's our nature. By nature, we want to be free. That's, it, it's a right thing to want freedom. I'm not saying you should chuck your mask in the bin, but it's a, it's, it's a right urge to want freedom. So why would anyone ever take on laws? Why would anyone ever put themselves under rules? Well, a couple of weeks back, if you were with us, we talked about this thing called the good. We talked about good things. And one big reason to accept a bunch of rules, even if we'd rather be free, would be for our own good or for the good of people around us. That's the point of these COVID rules and regulations. Uh, at least I hope it is. They're for our good. They're for others' good. And um, We talked two weeks back about how these good outcomes we want, well, in pursuit of them, like less people dying, like the sick being careful, like the earth not melting around us. We want these outcomes. And uh, these good things don't just automatically flow out of how we live as people because um, we're messed up. So we have these rules to restrict us and help us towards the good. Okay, that's one big reason that you might want to take on rules. Now, if you want to think more about that, go find the recording two weeks back. Um, but that's not the only reason. Today, I want to give another big reason that people might want to take on a set of rules and regulations, because I think this is the main one that today's passage deals with. It's the main focus. And the other reason you might take on a big set of rules, a big set of do's and don'ts, is to belong. 
Like to find your place uh, among a group, to be a part of a set of people. Let me give you an example, okay? Say you want to be a part of the surfer crowd. Now, there's no kind of published set of rules and regulations that you have to abide by in order to join the surfer crowd. There's no surf law or anything like that, but there are pretty much an immutable set of laws that you have to keep if you really want to join that crowd. I mean, you're going to have to learn to say, dude, at the end of every sentence. Dude, um, you're, you're going to have to spend half the day in a half-zip wetsuit. It's just the way it works, right? You have to spend half the day in a half-zip wetsuit. And you have to, and I mean, you literally have to own a camper van. It's, it's the law. It's the law, right? And the sad thing is, of course, you have to get in that freezing water at the end of the day when it's all windy and wild. Dude. Um, One example, but most every group has a set of rules that you have to keep if you want to be a part of it, if you want to belong. Now, often these are unspoken rules. Often these are unwritten rules, right? But they're rules nonetheless. I mean, you want to be a church planter. Do you know what happens if you want to be a church planter? Well, you have, your computer has to be a Mac. Seriously, it's really weird. I've never, ever been at a gathering of church planters where anyone apart from me has a Windows machine. I'm the only guy, so I stuck an Apple sticker on the back of my Windows machine to try and fit in. That's how powerful these pressures are. And, um, you know, uh, it's not just how you accessorize, right? It's how you speak. Uh, It's how you behave. It's phrases you use. It's what you do and what you most definitely do not do, right? If you want to be a cool student, do you want to fit in with the cool guys? you want to be a cool student? Well, do you know what you have to do? You have to go vegan and select a non-traditional sexuality. It's the law. Or, Or if you want to fit in with the rugby crowd, right, no matter what your food preferences are, you have to suddenly develop a great affinity for beer and curry because that's what it takes to fit in. One of the key reasons that we take on a whole bunch of rules, that we or anyone else might do that, is to join a group, not to stand out from it, but to fit in, to be one of the party. And I think that's one of the big things our writer has in view in today's section of this short letter from the Bible we're studying, this letter to the Galatians. The Galatians want in. They want to be in. They want to be a part of it. They want to belong They want to be accepted. They want to be a part of the family. And that is why they want to be under the law, under this Jewish religious law. Now, the passage has an encouragement for them, but it also has a pretty serious warning that goes along with that. And it's got an encouragement for us and a challenge for us as well. So listen to me. uh, Listen to me. Listen with me as we read the next section from Galatians together. We're in Galatians chapter 4, starting at verse 21. If you've got one of the blue Bibles... um, from our church. It's page 1171. Galatians um, chapter 4, big 4, starting at verse 21, tiny, tiny 21, page 1171. And Ginger is going to come and read for us today, 1171. Almost falls open there now. We've been here so long. We're going slow, um, but it works. Tell me, Who, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware that the law says, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and one by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of divine promise. These things are being taken figuratively. The women represents two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai, and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. 
Now, Hagar stands for, for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Be glad, barren women, you who never bore a child, break forth and cry aloud. You who never were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. But what does the Spirit say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son? For the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance of the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Thanks, Ginger. Now, that might seem a bit mysterious at first, but stick with me. We're going to get our heads around it together today. Now, what is going on here? Well, there are two wives, two sons, two covenants, two Jerusalems. It's a quote from an Old Testament prophet, which has two women in it. And then there are two results. There's a lot of twos, right? But there's also a lot of really mysterious stuff baked into this one. So let's try and unpack it together, right? Center of the stage in what we read is the story of Abraham, which comes from back near the very beginning of the Bible. It's in the book of Genesis, and it's a corker. Um, let me give you a super fast catch-up of the relevant bits for today, right? And in our last week's episode sort of version. God chooses Abraham from all the people in the world and promises he's going to have a huge family with their own land to live in. And through them, the whole world is going to be blessed. But there is a problem, a big problem, because Abraham's wife, well, she can't have children and, and they're both getting seriously old. So after years and years and years of waiting in an effort to make those promises come true rather than come to nothing, Abraham has a child with his slave woman, Hagar. But then God shows up and says, actually, I'm still going to keep that promise. And he does. Um, boom, this mega old wife who couldn't have kids has a child after all. Now, there's a, there's a lot more to the story. It goes on for chapters and chapters. But that's the, that's the kind of piece that you need for now. So the two sons we're reading about here are the two sons of Abraham, and they come from two women, a slave woman and a free woman. And verse 23 tells us his son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh. His son by the free woman was born as a result of a divine promise. So one comes about, right, according to the flesh is the phrase here, or the the New Living Translation, which tries to kind of bring out what's going on under the covers, says, in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promises, where the other one comes about by God's own hand as a result of God's promise, all right? So that's a nice story. That's cheery. What has that got to do with rules? What's that got to do with belonging? Well, stick with me. Our writer's going to use this story to tell us about two ways to live. He's going to tell us about two ways to identity, two ways to belonging, Now, he says the story can be um, taken figuratively. That is, it pictures something else. Literally, he says it's an allegory. And for the language nerds out there, um, allegory is actually a Greek word, allegorio, which is really cool. And uh, it's made up of two parts, ala and agoreo. And um, agoreo means to speak, and ala means other things. Speaking of other things literally is what allegory means right there. Who knew? Really important, isn't it? No, not really. Okay, fine. Two wives. 
Two sons, two ways they came about. What is that picture? Two covenants, he says. Now, what's a covenant? A covenant is an agreement between two people where they promise under oath that they'll do particular things, like a marriage. It's a covenant, right? An agreement under oath where people promise they'll do particular things. In the Bible, when we talk about covenants, a lot of the time the covenants are between God and his people. And uh, he's telling us these two mothers, the slave mother and the free mother, these represent two different agreements between God and his people. And then in verse 24 and 25, he tells us about one of them, right? He says, one of them is from Mount Sinai. It corresponds to Jerusalem in his day. Mount Sinai, if you don't know your kind of places in the Bible, that's where Moses got the Jewish law from God on those big two stone thingies. And uh, Jerusalem is obviously the center of the Jewish religion with the temple and all that. So it doesn't take a genius to figure out this first covenant that we're talking about here is what we would call the old covenant, what we would call the Mosaic covenant, the agreement between God and his Jewish people based on Torah, based on the Jewish law. Here's the surprise, though, as you read about that and think about it. He says this first covenant results in a people who are slaves. Now, that's, that's odd on the one hand, because if you know the story of Moses, it's about how God took his people out of slavery and into freedom. So how come that ends up with them being slaves? How come he lines them up with the slave woman rather than the freeborn wife? Well, Jewish people of his day would have choked on that. Now, let's just pause there for a minute before we carry on and think back to where we started. Okay, this passage is written to people who desperately want to be under the law. They really want to be under the law. They want to sign on the dotted line. They want to agree to take on um, the whole Jewish law. And a key driver for that is so they can belong, so they can be a part of this family, a part of God's people. They were being told, and it seems like they were feeling like, right, because they want to be under the law, it seems like they were feeling like as well, taking on these rules was the road into the family. It was the road to belonging. And now God has promised his family's going to include a countless multitude from every nation, every tribe, every tongue. He's promised that. He's promised we can join his people. He's promised we can even become his children, no matter who we are or what we've done. But just taking on those rules... Just picking up those behaviors is not the way in to this family. It's just like thinking, if I stick out my finger and wave like this, I'm royalty, right? This, it's not what makes you royalty. And although God has promised something, in the story of Abraham and elsewhere, we see every time we try and bring about God's promises for him, we make a mess, Abraham's story ends up with a mess. You've got a slave child and the mother eventually driven away from the family. And that's what this allegory is meant to be showing us. That's what all these lines of connection are drawn for. They help us see that when we try and keep God's promises for him, we just make a mess, right? It's like trying to paint over something rather than change what it really is. It's to help us see when we try and keep God's promises, when we, when we do this kind of outside-in attempt to change things, when we start with the rules, we start with playing the part, it doesn't work. It doesn't make us a child. But it's worse than that because actually it makes us a slave. We're chasing after this impossible goal. We're, we're trying to fit in, but we're doomed to fail, right? Rather than bringing us into the family when we take on 
a rule book like that. What it actually does, rather than giving us that sense of belonging, is it does the opposite. It leads us away from the family. And there's a warning for us here in the sad end to the story of Abraham's two sons. Here's verse 30. Get rid of the slave woman and her son. For the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Now, these are words from the freeborn wife in that original story. There's tension between the slave child and the free child. So she says to Abraham, she says, get rid of that one. Now, why does our writer emphasize that command? Is he saying to us, we need to get rid of people who live like they are slave children? Well, Perhaps, but I don't think it's primarily meant as an instruction to the Galatians, that who the letter is written to. I think this is meant as a warning, really. See, she is speaking to the, the father here, right? The wife is speaking to the father and says, get rid of the slave woman. Well, if you follow the allegory, that's like, that's like the, the covenant speaking to God, not to the children, to get rid of the other children, It's meant, I think, as a warning to the Galatians primarily. It says, this is where following the path of the slave child leads you. Do you know where it leads you? Not into the family. It leads you out of the family. The truth is that trying to find belonging in the family of God by keeping the law on the basis of something that starts with us rather than starts with God, is going to end up leading us away from the family of God rather than towards it. That's, that, that's true not just for this Jewish law. This is actually true for any law that we start thinking we have to keep in order to find our way into and belong in God's family. Now, I know this is kind of complicated stuff this morning. It's a complicated passage. One of the commentators says he thinks this is actually the most complicated passage in the whole of this letter. I know we feel like we say that every week. It's been a complicated letter, but this one literally is the most complicated. So if you're feeling like, what? That's what I've been feeling like all week as I've been trying to figure it out. Let me take it away from this and give you some pictures instead. Um, why, Why would trying to live under rules, lead you out of a family rather than into it. I think you see some keys in the famous story of the prodigal son. This is Rembrandt's amazing um, painting of that story. Perhaps you're familiar with it. Like the main focus of the story is the wayward son who says to his dad, give me my stuff now, and then goes and wastes it. When he finally comes back to his father, when he comes back poor, when he comes back humbled, when he comes back ashamed, hoping only to get food and shelter as a servant, Instead, the father welcomes him with open arms as a son back into the family. He celebrates the return of his son. And that's a a picture for us of God's extravagant grace, right? But what we often don't pay so much attention to is this other son uh, in the painting and in the story as well. The other son who didn't go anywhere, didn't demand anything didn't waste anything. He just kept working away at home the whole time through. Now, you could think he's the good guy, but we'd be wrong because that son burns with anger when the other son comes back. I have been, this interesting words he uses, he says, I have been slaving away for you, Father. I've been slaving away for you, but no party for me. He thinks his brother, when he finally comes back, his brother deserves a beating not a welcome, that's what he thinks. And that right there is the poison of 
law, of taking on rules. Well, it makes us self-righteous, thinking, I've earned my place here, thanks very much. It makes us bitter, thinking, you haven't. Get lost. You should get what you deserve. Do you know what it does? It makes us see ourselves as slaves, like the older son did. And ultimately, it leads away from the family rather than into it. Jesus' story of the prodigal ends with his older brother outside the family, unwilling to come in. And it's amazing that he himself chooses to leave the family rather than being thrown out. This is what it can be like for us as well when we are chasing belonging through keeping rules, when we're letting rule following become a part of the pattern. We get this self-righteousness, right? I've earned my place. We feel that bitterness. They have not. Sometimes it's so strong, we feel like walking out on the family altogether because of it. I don't want to be a part of it if people like that can be there. We don't even need to be sent away sometimes. We just choose to leave, maybe just in our heart. That. That's the poison of law. But there is an alternative here. Two of everything in the passage, remember. So there are two covenants. There are two ways into the family. Just like there are two women, two children, there's another covenant. And this one leads into freedom rather than slavery. That's the big contrast here. Remember in Abraham's story, there's this promise of a child. He tries to fulfill it, but God actually fulfills it. Well, there's another promise, and it's not just of one child this time, but of many, many children. That's what the the quotation in the middle of this passage is all about. It's a bit mysterious if you just read it on its own. If you go and find where it comes from and look at what's around it, it really helps us get our head around what's happening. It's a quote from the ancient prophet Isaiah, hundreds and hundreds of years before this. It's part of an amazing and exciting promise of how things are going to turn around, how God is going to change everything. And when you first read it in its original setting, this barren and desolate woman that this little section speaks about is a picture of the Jewish people, rejected by God for the wrong things they've done, in slavery and exile in Babylon. And it looks like it's a promise of renewal for them, children for the barren woman. At last, the Jewish people are going to multiply, many children. Now, our writer is telling us, actually, this is what was happening with the birth of the church. This is what was happening with the explosive growth of the church. This is God keeping his promises. Many new children in his family, born by the power of the Spirit, born free into the family, rather than born a slave, not keeping any law. This quote, if you looked it up, comes from the beginning of Isaiah chapter 54. And immediately before that, In Isaiah chapter 53, you see this famous prophecy about what Jesus is going to do. And we've been talking about God's promises and the mess that comes out of it when we try and keep those promises for him. Neither we nor these Galatians need to keep the promises of God for him. He keeps them himself um, through Jesus at the cross. That's what Isaiah 53 tells us in our place. Here's what comes right before the promise, what makes it possible for us to come. It's written about Jesus. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds were healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him 
the iniquity, that's kind of the unrighteousness, the wrongness of us all. Do you want to belong in God's family? We find belonging in God's family not because we've earned it by keeping rules, but because he has earned it. Uh, Our belonging, the way we belong in this family, is the way Jesus belongs in this family. He's the true son, the true obedient one, and we get to join into him rather than earn our own place. That's how this promise of many children comes about. We're all joined into him. The wonderful truth is, rather than us reaching up to God to try and make that promise of many children true by ticking boxes and keeping rules, instead, Jesus reaches down to us, and he keeps all of them. The passage um, that we read this morning closes with this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, closes with the encouragement, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. And that's what I want you to know this morning, that the way you belong among God's people is not through keeping rules. The way you belong among God's people is through Jesus who has done that for you. And that means you're not under these rules. You are free. You're free. I want to give you a moment to reflect on that freedom. I know it's a complicated passage, um, but that, I think, is where it gives. Let me give you a moment to reflect on that, and then I'll pray. Lord God, you know that we um, desperately want to belong, want to be uh, a part of things. Lord, you know that uh, in pursuit of that, we can choose to take on a whole bunch of rules which we think will make us fit into your people. May help us see that when we try and keep your promises for you, we're only going to make a mess. Help us instead to trust that you have kept your promises. To be able to trust that every law we needed to keep, every behavior we needed to enact, everything we ever needed to be has already been done, been and kept in Jesus. So we're not uh, among your people as slaves and under laws, but we are among your people freely as children of the promise by your grace.